Welcome to A Great Big City News, Episode 16. Today, congestion pricing, a blimp disaster, and the Twin Towers. Visit agreatbigcity.com support to learn how to support New York City local news and allow us to keep bringing you this podcast. If you are a New York-based business and would be interested in sponsoring our podcast, visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more. Hi, I'm Trace Gilden, Editor-in-Chief at A Great Big City. This week we'll be looking back through New York history at some interesting events and seeing how they tie in with the events of today. With the passing of the state budget on April 1st, New York will become the first American city to instate congestion pricing after adding it to the 2020 state budget. The current plan is tenuous and would only go into effect by 2021 at the earliest. But the basics are that license plate readers will monitor traffic and charge each vehicle a variable fee for entering a zone in Manhattan south of 60th Street. The fee is predicted to be around $10 to $15 and will only be charged once a day per vehicle. A recent city survey showed that about 717,000 vehicles enter that zone each day. The system is set up very similar to plans adopted by other cities which have documented decreases in traffic and increases in air quality. It's officially called Central Business District Tolling in the state budget, and the funds raised will go toward improving the MTA system. The latest Quinnipiac poll shows some sad numbers for the plan, however. In a survey of 1,077 New York voters conducted the week before the budget was finalized, 54% opposed congestion pricing, and 52% said they thought it would not be effective at reducing traffic. Of those same respondents, 55% rated traffic congestion as a very serious problem, and 62% rated the quality of subway service as either poor or not so good. Historically, this was the highest percent of opposition to congestion pricing seen by Quinnipiac since it began asking the question in 2017. But New Yorkers' opinions on traffic congestion were fairly consistent in Quinnipiac's 12 years of data for that question. See the link to the Quinnipiac poll in the show notes to find out more about their latest survey, including New Yorkers' opinions on schools and whether respondents blame Mayor de Blasio or Governor Cuomo more for the problems with the subway and traffic congestion. Thirty-nine years ago, on April 1, 1980, 33,000 transit workers go on strike, bringing the subways and buses to a standstill for 12 days. The Transport Workers Local Union 100 walked off their jobs over a contract dispute. The city implemented mandatory carpool requirements where cars entering the Central Business District, the same one targeted by modern congestion pricing, where they were required to enter with three or more passengers in each vehicle. The strike also birthed the popular dollar vans, independent operations that charge a small fee for riders in service areas outside the reach of the transit system. Other commuters walked, biked, or even rollerbladed across the city. The union would eventually receive a smaller pay increase and a cost-of-living adjustment, and the MTA then raised fares 20% to make up the difference. Thirty-four years ago, on March 31, 1985, the first WrestleMania is held at Madison Square Garden, featuring Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. The success of the event would propel wrestling into popular culture and boosted the WWF over any previous wrestling leagues. WrestleManias have routinely taken place near the city, but it would return to Madison Square Garden for the 10th and 20th anniversary shows. 
This year, WrestleMania 35 will be coming to MetLife Stadium in New Jersey on Sunday, April 7th. One hundred and sixty years ago, on April 4th, 1859, the Civil War anthem Dixie debuts in New York as part of a blackface minstrel show at Bryant's Minstrels Theater at 472 Broadway, which today is part of Soho. The song would go on to become both one of Abraham Lincoln's favorite songs and the de facto anthem of the Confederate South, where it was sometimes sung with altered lyrics. Songwriter Daniel Decatur Emmett reportedly told a fellow minstrel that, quote, If I had known to what use they were going to put my song, I would be damned if I'd have written it. Unquote. The song was played at the inauguration of Confederate President Jefferson Davis in 1861, and Abraham Lincoln requested the song be played again after accepting the Confederacy's surrender five years later. In the land of cotton, old times are not forgotten. Look away, look away, look away, Dixieland, in Dixieland, where I was born in early on one frosty morning. Look away, look away, look away, Dixieland. And I wish I was in Dixie, hooray, hooray, in Dixieland, In modern Civil War news, CBS 2 reported this week on the deterioration of the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial in Riverside Park. The structure was completed in 1902 to honor United States soldiers who fought in the Civil War, but it has fallen into disrepair and is now surrounded by a chain-link fence preventing visitors from approaching the 100-foot-tall marble structure. There are marble blocks near the base that have fallen out and other smaller damage done by weather and a few graffiti tags but nowhere near the level of disrepair that nearby Grant's tomb saw in the 1970s and 80s. The Riverside Park Conservancy estimates that a full repair of the Soldiers and Sailors Monument will cost $32 million. The monument was last renovated in the 1960s when a new roof was installed and portions of marble were replaced. Another repair was planned for 2002, but was canceled when a private donor pulled their support. Regardless of repairs, a Memorial Day celebration will still take place this year on the plaza outside the structure on May 27th. 86 years ago, on April 4, 1933, the USS Akron, one of history's largest airships, crashes into the ocean off the coast of New Jersey, killing 73 people and leaving three survivors. The 785-foot-long airship was an airborne aircraft carrier, able to launch and receive fighter planes via a trapeze system and trap doors on its bottom side. It crashed into the ocean after storms and violent wind gusts pushed it too near the water, and its lower rear fin was torn off when it hit the water's surface. Another smaller Navy blimp also crashed while searching for survivors, killing two of the seven crew on board. New Jersey would also be the site of the Hindenburg disaster just four years later and 10 miles away from the USS Akron crash site. As a result of the Akron's crash, its sister blimp, the USS Macon, was equipped with adequate life vest and inflatable lifeboats so that only two crew members were killed when it suffered a crash into the Pacific Ocean two years later. 
52 years ago, on April 4, 1967, Martin Luther King Jr. delivers a speech at Riverside Church in Morningside Heights, titled Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break the Silence. The speech proved controversial, as it associated the civil rights movement with the anti-war movement. He would be assassinated exactly one year later to the day in Memphis, Tennessee. It seemed as if there was a real promise of hope for the poor, both black and white, through the poverty program. There were experiments, hopes, new beginnings. Then came the build-up in Vietnam. And I watched this program broken and eviscerated, as if it was some idle political plaything of a society gone mad on war. And I knew that America would never invest the necessary funds or energies in rehabilitation of its poor, so long as adventures like Vietnam continue to draw men and skills and money, like some demonic destructive suction tube. So I was increasingly compelled to see the war as an enemy of the poor and to attack it as such. Forty-six years ago, on April 4, 1973, the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center officially opened, becoming the tallest buildings in the world. Groundbreaking had taken place seven years earlier, but construction of Towers 1 and 2 was delayed until 1968 and 1969, respectively, while the site was excavated and a wall was constructed to prevent water intrusion from the nearby Hudson River. The towers had topped out and tenants had already begun moving in, but April 4th marked the ribbon-cutting ceremony that officially opened the towers. Construction required raising 13 square blocks of Lower Manhattan that included a section of electronics retailers known as Radio Row. The towers would remain the world's tallest until the completion of the Sears Tower in Chicago just one year later and would remain standing 28 years until the September 11th attacks. 101 years ago, on April 5, 1918, glass and pieces of wire are found in various foods in Brooklyn. An article from the New York Tribune discussed cases around the city where glass fragments had been found in food. Either glass or pieces of metal wire had been found in rolls, bread, crullers, candy, chewing gum, salted almonds, frankfurters, and even a sample of sugar. The Department of Justice, New York Police, the Food Board, the Federal Secret Service, and the Brooklyn Food Protection Agency worked together to track down the source of the glass that had made its way into such a wide variety of products. Given the tense wartime relations with Germany, the Brooklyn Food Protection Agency ordered that Brooklyn Bakery should fire all German immigrants, and if any, quote, enemy aliens, unquote, were employed at food facilities, that they should ensure that there was no way for them to introduce inappropriate ingredients during food production. Two days later, the food board would announce more glass had been discovered, with cases showing up in Hoboken and Waterbury, Connecticut. Candy sales were ceased in Waterbury, and two German immigrants were arrested in Brooklyn on the suspicion that they were tampering with candy, but the ultimate outcome of the investigation was unclear. Ninety-eight years ago, on April 1st, 1921, there was a Greenwich Village chase after a Bleecker Street store suffered an armed robbery. Mr. Alex Kipnis was manning his jewelry store at 320 Bleecker Street when a gang of four armed youths stormed in and tried to rob the store. 
The gang may have seen this as an easy target, but Mr. Kipnis wasn't taking the threat lightly. The 55-year-old store owner picked up an empty display case and hurled it at the robbers. This was successful at making the gang retreat, but not before three of the four young men fired their revolvers at Mr. Kipnis, with one bullet striking him in the arm. The remaining robber struck Mr. Kipnis on the head with his pistol. The gunfire drew the attention of the police and neighborhood residents, and thankfully Mr. Hector Undino looked across the street from his own shop and saw the gang flee. He took chase and trailed the group from the opposite side of the street, watching as they tried to hide weapons in a trash barrel and saw as they split up into two groups. Mr. Undino was able to find a police officer and point out two of the robbers, but the other two slipped away into the crowds on Grove Street. After being apprehended, the two robbers were found to not speak English, but gave their names as Camillo Lasala and Attilo DeMarco through an interpreter. It's unclear how long Mr. Kipnis's store remained at the location, but today, 320 Bleecker is home to Andrade Shoe Repair, which hopefully hasn't suffered a similar attack. Click the link in the show notes to read the full story from the 1921 edition of The Evening World and see a photo of the site today. A great big city has been bringing you daily New York City news since 2010, but the AGBC podcast is just getting started and we need your support. Individuals can make a monthly or one-time contribution at agreatbigcity.com support. And local businesses can have a lasting impact by supporting local news while promoting their own products or services directly to interested customers listening to this podcast. Visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to learn more. With your support, you can guarantee that a great big city will be here to tell generations of New Yorkers about revolutionary micro-materials that may end up contaminating any futuristic breads and candies in Brooklyn. Park of the Day Bridge Park in Brooklyn Not to be confused with the similarly named Bridge Park in the Bronx, Brooklyn's Bridge Park is one of many parklands situated on land that the city owns around the roads and highways that lead to the Brooklyn and Manhattan Bridges. The BQE passes through Bridge Park, and the Manhattan Bridge approach marks its western edge, but both are elevated and stand much higher than the park itself. Bridge Park features paved playground areas bordered by trees along the streets, with markings for various sports, and the walls and pavement are painted with large murals that can even be seen from the BQE. If you're looking for a park that's more green and serene, visit Trinity Park, one block to the south. If you'd like to get some fresh air this Saturday, you can help the Parks Department keep Coney Island Beach in place by planting grasses on Coney Island. The plants will grow roots throughout the sand that help hold the beach together and prevent it from eroding or blowing away during storms. Wear warm clothes and sturdy shoes to the event and meet at West 8th and Boardwalk in Coney Island at 9.30 a.m. You can RSVP by emailing bkspecialevents at parks.nyc.gov or call 718-965-8976 for more info. And now let's see what our robot friend has planned for the weekend on the concert calendar. This is the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Towers are playing Rockwood Music Hall on Friday, April 5th. Whitey Morgan and the 78s is playing Gramercy Theatre on Friday, April 5th. Teen Body, Sean Nicholas Savage, 
and romantic thriller are playing Sunnyvale on Friday, April 5th. Arthur and Ghost Orchard are playing Babies All Right on Friday, April 5th. Broncho is playing Elsewhere on Saturday, April 6th. Patty Griffin and Baird Preston are playing The Town Hall on Saturday, April 6th. The Royal They, Lumps, Sty Died, and the next great American novelist are playing Our Wicked Lady on Saturday, April 6th. The Rotten Roll Tour, Zomboy, Bad Clot, Abstract, and Space Laces are playing Avon Gardner on Saturday, April 6th. Real Clothes, Plastic Waves, Steffa, and Von Sell are playing Bowery Electric on Sunday, April 7th. Japanese Breakfast and Longbeard are playing White Eagle Hall on Sunday, April 7th. Wiltar is playing St. Vitus Bar on Monday, April 8th. Muse and Walk the Moon are playing Madison Square Garden on Monday, April 8th. Andrew Bird is playing National Sawdust on Monday, April 8th. Aldous Harding is playing Rough Trade NYC on Monday, April 8th. Steve Wilson and Wilsonian's Green is playing Village Vanguard on Tuesday, April 9th. Colleen Green and Decreaser are playing Mercury Lounge on Wednesday, April 10th. Joseph Van Wissem is playing Skirbel Center for the Performing Arts on Thursday, April 11th. Arturo Sandoval is playing Blue Note on Thursday, April 11th. Swimmers, Beach Goons, and The Regrets are playing Brooklyn Steel on Thursday, April 11th. Aphex Twin is playing Avon Gardner on Thursday, April 11th. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. 1.8 million New Yorkers benefit from SNAP, the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program that helps families and individuals supplement the cost of their diet with nutritious foods. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history. In 2010, there was a record high of 92 degrees on April 7th, and in 1874 on April 4th, there was a record low of 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Weather for the week ahead? Light rain tomorrow through Monday, with high temperatures rising to 70 degrees on Tuesday. Now is the time to start protecting your skin and eyes from ultraviolet radiation, which will be higher during the summer months. Look for a skin protectant labeled Broad Spectrum and at least SPF 50, and wear sunglasses if you'll be venturing outside the shadowy caverns of Midtown. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City News. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, Spotify, or even CastBox. Or you can listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit the site to see any show notes and extra links for each episode. Thanks for being part of the Great Big City.